Welcome to Tauri's Community Church. We hope this talk helps you in figuring it out because we believe that when people discover truth and love, they are able to face life in a different kind of way and come alive. If this talk is relevant for you and you wish to discover more, please head over to tauraisecommunitychurch.com.au forward slash services. And with that, we hope you enjoy today's talk. I just want to start by saying a big thank you to Tim and Shaz and Jono for trusting me to bring the message to you today. It's um, a big privilege and not one that I take lightly. And I also want to say that I am very nervous because I don't love public speaking. I don't know if anyone really does. Do you? I don't know. Um, But I'm running on adrenaline and coffee and about four hours of sleep. Thanks, Nina. So um, you'll just have to bear with me today. So um, we're starting a series today called The Simple Life. I think I've got that right, or perhaps the title's changed since, but yep, The Simple Life. And I'm really excited for this series because it's all around looking past the clutter and the distractions that we have in our world today and actually just refocusing on what's really important and where the good life is found, which is a life with Jesus. So The title of this message is The Propaganda of More, which you can see up there. And I do think it's a little bit funny or perhaps ironic that I'm here speaking about the simple life because I think like a lot of you, it's something that I've always thought, I guess, knowing that it's been a really good way to live, but something that I've definitely struggled with. So I'm not standing up here as someone who's got all the answers. I'm on the journey as well, but... um, I, when I sat down to write this message, I remembered a quote that I must have posted on my Instagram many years ago about sandwiches. And I scrolled all the way back to try and find it, back to 2013, and it was actually the first thing I ever posted on Instagram. And that is an embarrassing time if you want to scroll back 10 years through your social media feed. Um, Yeah, very confronting, (laughs) lots of hashtags. But the quote was this, trying to be happy by accumulating possessions is like trying to satisfy hunger by taping sandwiches all over your body. And yeah, I remembered that and I thought that is so true. We we search for happiness a lot of the time in all the wrong places. We think that if we buy a new car, then we'll be happy. Or if we have a new outfit, then we'll feel really good about ourselves. Or if we have X amount of money in the bank as a buffer, then we'll feel secure. Or... If we get that new iPhone, then the quality of our life is going to really increase or whatever it is. But we can't satisfy hunger by taping sandwiches on our bodies. It just doesn't work. So the simple life is the idea that the good life is found um, not in the accumulation or the quest for stuff, but in doing life with Jesus. And as I said, the title of this message is The Propaganda of More. So when I think about the word propaganda being a history teacher, I think about um, when we look at World War One and the propaganda posters that were used during their recruitment campaign. And they were incredibly um, disturbing but highly effective. And that is because propaganda at its core, it tells us... Um, it it prompts us to respond to things emotionally and not rationally. And it also presents half-truths and selective facts. And so we're fed this propaganda all the time in our world, all around us, that we need more stuff and more accumulation and more wealth to be happy. So we're going to look at that today. Um, As I said, it's something that 
I am still working on, but I've recently been through a season of like forced simple living, otherwise known as motherhood, where um, we've transitioned from that dinks lifestyle, that double income, no kids, to one income and a baby and lots of expenses and even if I did have money to go and buy a new outfit, I don't think I'd have anywhere to wear it because I don't have much for social life at the moment and it would probably be covered in poo and vomit at the end of the day anyhow. Nina's not mine. <laughs> um, but So I just want to clarify that. Um, so Nina's taught me a lot about simple living because for her... As an example, at the moment, her favourite toy is not anything bright or flashy or expensive. It's actually a spatula. She loves that spatula. So <laughs> for her, the good life, it's not about possessions. It's not about anything other than quality time and time with the people that she loves. And I just love that, um, the way that children see the world. So before I keep going, I just love to pray. Dear God, I just want to thank you this wonderful church family and thank you that we have the privilege of gathering here today to worship you and reflect on your word. I just pray that through this message, God, we can think about ways we can become more like you and Lord, we know the best way to become like someone is to spend time with them. We just thank you that you want nothing more than to spend time with us. Thank you again for this church and I just pray that you bless these amazing people. Amen. So if we can just pop to the scripture on the screen. So this whole message today is underpinned by um, Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 15. So this is the parable of the rich fool. So I'm sure most of you are familiar with it. So here Jesus actually is dispelling that false belief that the good life is found in the accumulation of possessions. So it reads, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And so here we've got a guy who, back in these times, um, the standard process was that the firstborn child would receive a double portion of the inheritance. And so this um, person here is obviously not the eldest child and is feeling a bit cheesed off that um, they're not going to get a equal or fair share of the inheritance and they're asking Jesus to kind of step in and um, Jesus responds by telling them the parable of the rich fool. Uh, it tells us two things. First of all, we're not supposed to devote our lives, uh, and I'll revisit this scripture throughout the message, but we're not supposed to devote our lives to the accumulation of possessions or wealth. Um, we need to be prioritising things that are eternal, not the, um, you know, the things that will die with us. We need to be prioritising people and um, investing our money and time into what really matters. And the second thing is that we're actually not blessed by God so we can hoard our wealth to ourselves. We're blessed so we can be a blessing to others. And many biblical scholars will say that roughly 25% of Jesus' teaching was actually around the subject of wealth and possession. So it's something that um, time and time again we see referenced throughout the Bible. It's something we really need to pay attention to. And um, it can be uncomfortable to look at like a lot of things, but we it's really important that we do. So what I'm going to look at now, first of all, I'm going to have a look at why we actually have this real drive and desire for more. 
Then I'm going to have a look at why it can cause us some problems, because if it didn't cause problems, we wouldn't need to talk about it. And last of all, we're going to have a look at a few simple challenges or um, just some little steps you could take to help simplify your life and, I guess, reframe your priorities a little bit. So, the first thing I want to talk about is the theory, it's called the unconscious mind. And it's by a guy called Sigmund Freud. If we can go to the next slide. And I really want to just stop here and apologise to any social workers or psychologists in the room. Emily, I'm sorry, this is like Freud for dummies. But anyway, I'm going to really simplify this. But basically, um, Sigmund Freud, he was an Austrian neurologist. And he has a lot of theories, but one of them is that of the unconscious mind. And he talks about that our mind is a little bit like the iceberg that we can see on the screen here. And the tip of the iceberg, the part that we can see, is our conscious mind. So that's the thoughts and memories and feelings and wishes that we're aware of at any given moment. And then everything else underneath, along with a few other things, but basically underneath the iceberg is the unconscious mind. And that's actually, I guess, the unconscious drives and urges and thoughts, things that we have that we're not actually even really um, aware of. It's like a reservoir of all of these things that are kind of outside of our conscious awareness. And according to Freud, the reason why this is important to understand is that um, the unconscious mind is actually the primary source of human behaviour. So like an ice iceberg, the most important part of our mind is the part that we cannot see. And hence, we're a lot more susceptible to manipulation from the outside and deception from the inside than we'd like to believe. We're actually not as in control of our thoughts and feelings and decisions and desires as we'd really like to think. And so it's, for me, it was really interesting learning about this. Um, a lot of people have used Freud's work over the years, uh, one of them being Hitler, who committed horrendous, unspeakable atrocities and was a master manipulator of people's unconscious drives. He knew how to instill fear, to instill hate. Um, it was, yeah, he was a, a very manipulative person. We also know that in the peace, so after the war in America, a lot of PR and advertising um, experts use this theory to tap into people's desire for more and to, um, in the rise of capitalism, to really shift people's thinking from a needs-based culture to a desires-based culture. So rather than people just consuming what they need, um, these PR reps really thought about, well, how can we actually manipulate people to think that um, their desires actually outweigh their needs? So the point that I'm making here is that we're really manipulated all the time um, and a lot of the time we're not even aware of it. So the unconscious mind really plays a big role in that so it's important for us to understand that. The second thing is we there's a idea of something called planned obsolescence which if something becomes obsolete it's no longer useful, it doesn't really have a purpose and I found this so interesting to learn about. Um, a lot of this information comes from, um, there's a website called Practicing the Way, which is um, 
founded by John Mark Comer, who's an incredible guy, so definitely jump on if you want to have a look uh, more into this. But planned obsolescence is the idea that a lot of items in our society are designed to have an artificially limited useful life. So, for example, gadgets and phones and, um, I don't know, Apple, for example, um, so in France, it's actually illegal to design a product that has an artificially limited useful life. So it's illegal to design a product or a piece of technology that's designed to wear out or to fail after X amount of years. And in 2018, France actually, a French prosecutor actually sued Apple because, um, surprise, surprise, Apple was found uh, guilty of, or they admitted that some of the older iPhone models were slowed down through software updates. And so Apple were ordered to pay a $27 million fine, which is actually the amount that they make in three hours, um, believe it or not. But so many items and so many consumables are designed this way so that we keep in that hamster wheel of consuming and buying and wanting more. And there's also something called perceived obsolescence. So something's not necessarily useless, but because of clever marketing, we might think, oh, I don't know, think about the fast fashion industry, for example. We are led to believe that what we have is no longer useful or trendy or worthy and we need more. So we're surrounded by this all the time. And the third point I want to make here is that advertisements are aimed at our unconscious drives. And we live in this age where ads are... They're everywhere. They're more widespread and more targeted and more clever than they ever have been before. So we're bombarded by social media influencers who a lot of the time we don't even know we're being advertised to. We're bombarded by ads on our social media. Um, I, my sister is a social media and marketing guru and she's explained to me the crazy ways in that technology can kind of um, pick up on our information and target ads and the huge success rate. Um, I don't, I'm sure I'm not the only one that's been scrolling online, doing a bit of online shopping and then next minute you're in Instagram and there's ads and then you go to your email inbox and then this company's saying, have you forgotten something? Have you? <laughs> we'll give you 5% off if you go and complete the purchase. We're surrounded by so much targeted advertising. So no wonder we have this desire for more all the time. I want to look at now... Um, if we can go to the next slide, how can our desire for more cause us problems? And I want to be really clear here that having stuff is not a bad thing. There's no need to feel guilt or shame or anything for liking nice things or wanting more stuff. The only issue is it's just not where the good life is found, so it's futile for us to look for happiness in that space. A lot of the time, um, if we have more stuff, we have less peace. If we have more stuff, we have less generosity. If we have more stuff, we have less of what God has um, for us, has in store for us for our lives. So in the parable of the rich fool, if we can bring that up again, please. Jesus is really, really clear. He actually gives a double warning against this kind of greed. He says, watch out and be on your guard. I don't think um, it gets much clearer than that. So be on your guard against any kind of greed. Life actually doesn't consist in an abundance of possessions. So he's just saying that um, he's really reiterating the point that surplus wealth is not going to lead to happiness. The other thing that's really interesting, um, being an English nerd, is that I looked into the word fool, so the parable of the rich fool, 
Back in these times, fool wasn't a moral word like calling, it wasn't like calling someone an idiot or a loser. It was actually an intellectual word. So it was actually like saying, this is not an intelligent way to live your life. This is not a smart way to live. So Jesus is just reminding us that hoarding our wealth and not using our blessings to bless others is not wise and it's not helpful. And before tax-based wealth redistribution, there was actually just a societal expectation on the rich to care for the poor. And I think um, we've lost a lot of that in this day and age. Uh, The next thing is that well-being, so whilst our average incomes have risen exponentially over the last decades, well-being has actually been on a steady decline. And I'm not saying that's just because, you know, there's a lot of reasons and a lot of factors. However, um, what we see time and time again, so experts can prove over and over and over again that after a certain point, um, our, as our wealth increases, our fulfilment, whilst initially, once our needs are met and we've got a few luxuries and we're living comfortably, everything's going well, but every single time, with a continued increase in spending and um, wealth accumulation, our fulfilment and our happiness plummets. It's like a big bell curve. <clears throat> so, the yeah, as, a, as you know, it's that taping sandwiches on your body to try and fulfil hunger. It just it doesn't work. So the good life is not found in the accumulation of possessions. It's not bad, it's just not where the good life is found. There's, um, does anyone know of the oil tycoon John Rockefeller? He was asked a question in, in an interview, he was one of the richest men in the world, and the interviewer said, how much money is enough? And he responded with, just a little bit more. So I think that's very haunting. And... The next thing, or the last point I want to make here is, uh, everyone who knows me will know how much I love Shane Willard. He's an amazing biblical teacher. And years ago, uh, when Dan and I lived on the northwest coast, we went and watched him speaking. And the sermon was called, Somebody Buried Something. And this has stuck with me ever since. And he said that as Christians, we often get thrown these really curly questions. So... um, If God is real, then why is there so much hunger in the world? Or if God is real, then why are there children everywhere dying from preventable disease? Or if God's real, then how come so many people live without access to clean water? Or if God is real, then how come there's not a cure for cancer yet? Or if God is real, why is the world plagued with illness and disease? If God is real, hasn't he failed if we look at the state of the world at the moment? And the answer is, God has only failed if he withheld the resources that we need to be able to fix the world. This is not the case. If we can look at the next slide, please. Our hunger for more and our desire to accumulate wealth and possessions has landed us in a pretty frightening space. So the richest 40 people in the world have $1.4 trillion between them. I don't know how many people are in this room because I'm, I cannot estimate numbers, but I'm guessing it's a lot more than 40 people perhaps. But 40 people in our world have $1.4 trillion between them. Just so we can put that in, into perspective, $1.4 trillion, that's enough money to provide drinking, clean drinking water for the whole world. It's enough to provide sewerage for the whole world or to vaccinate all children in the world <clears throat> against preventable disease or to drastically reduce world hunger, or to make huge headway into educating children all across the world. 
you know, what if the cure for cancer is trapped inside the mind of someone who can't afford or is not entitled to an education? It's really, really scary. The problem is not with Jesus withholding resources. The problem is with hoarding. The next point there, the richest 85 people have the same amount of wealth as the bottom 3.5 billion people combined. That is really, really insane. And the fact that the richest 1% of people have $110 between them. So $110 trillion, that's enough money to keep the global economy going at its current pace today. So 1% of people in our world have that power to keep the global economy going. And so, as we see, God hasn't failed. The problem is not with access to resources. The problem is we are flawed human beings with free will and we hoard. Our desire for more, that unconscious drive, it leads us into this kind of space. And so I don't want you sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, this is really overwhelming and what can I do? I'm just one person. But just because we can't single-handedly fix a problem doesn't mean we don't participate in the solution. And the fact is that if you drove here today in a car, even if it's the most beat-up piece of junk in the car park, you are still in the richest 10% of the world. <clears throat> so what I'm saying here is that um, we're not blessed so that we can hoard our blessings. We're blessed to bless others. And stuff isn't bad, but it's a problem when we allow this need to outweigh our, I guess, our desire to, to help others and to be a blessing in the lives of our neighbours. So, on to the last slide. How can we start to embrace simple living? So there's a few practical ideas and as I said, I'm standing here as someone who is still very much on this journey and I, you know, I think about this and try and work on it all the time but I'm definitely, um, I'm preaching to myself here as much as I'm preaching to all of you. Uh, Will Smith, not Hollywood Will but Launceston Will, you all know him, he's an amazing guy, he came in and spoke to the kids at Kings Meadows High School where I teach and he talked about the importance of our top five. So the top five people that we spend the most time with are the people that we're going to become the most alike. So I guess just making sure that if we want to become like our rabbi then we need to um, be spending time with him and making him a priority and he needs to be in our top five. <clears throat> the other thing is um, there's an amazing book by Andy Stanley called Irresistible. Has anyone read it or heard of it? It's a really, really great book. I'd encourage you um, to read it. Tim recommended it to me and it was just really transformative. But he talks about asking a better question. And for me, oh, I don't know, I'm sure I'm not alone here, but how often do we make decisions based on whether or not something is a sin? So um, if I'm standing at the counter of country road and going to buy a jumper that I probably don't need and thinking about, is it a sin? Well, I mean, God doesn't tell us in the Bible how many pairs of shoes we can own or when is the right time to upgrade to the next iPhone. Of course he doesn't. If we live our lives based on that question, is this a sin, it's going to end, us up, end up in all kinds of issues. But the better question to be asking, Andy Stanley would say, is what does love require of me? So we can answer all of our dilemmas with that single, simple question. So instead of, is this a sin, thinking, well, what does love actually require of me? Am I walking past a need right in front of me to fulfil this desire? 
um, because if I am, then that's probably an issue. Um, and then some practical ideas. So there's two guys called the minimalists. I don't know if anyone's heard of them, but they um, have a free ebook with 16 strategies for living simply um, or simplifying or decluttering your life. And um, after I've talked through these things, there will be a QR code up on the screen that you can scan and actually have a look at that ebook if you want to. But these were a few things that really stood out to me from that book. So in terms of decluttering our lives and making room for what really matters, we need to start thinking about how we can simplify. They talk about one of those things being photos. So if you're unsure, I don't know, if you're really reluctant to get rid of a possession because it's sentimental or, um, I don't know, you're not sure, take a photo of that item. Let's say it's, a, I don't know, an old teddy bear that you boyfriend bought you on your very first Valentine's Day, take a photo, throw out the bear if you want to, <laughs> or don't, um, and keep photos of sentimental items in an album rather than actually hoarding all of those items themselves. It's a really good way to get rid of clutter. Another thing is the seasonality rule, and so that's the 90-90 rule. What that means is that you look at an item and think, have I used this in the last 90 days? And if not, am I likely to use it in the next 90 days? And the reason it's called the seasonality rule is because it kind of accounts for all seasons. So if you were looking at a snowboard in the middle of summer, no, you probably haven't used it in the last 90 days, but would I use it in the next 90? I don't know. If you're not going to use it, um, get rid of it. It's a really good kind of audit to think about the things that we own and the things that are taking up space in our, um, in our homes and in our minds and in our finances. The 10-10 strategy, I really love this and I actually sat down and did this one myself. So they talk about writing a list and on one side of the list, listing the 10 items that, the most expensive items that you own. So, I don't know, your house, your car, your jewellery, furniture, I don't know, whatever it is. And then parallel to that, on the other side of the paper, write down a list of the 10 things in your life that bring you the most joy whether it's watching your kids play sport or watching a sunrise or, I don't know, spending time outdoors or hiking. And what you'll find and what I found is there was barely any overlap with those two lists. So the 10 most expensive items in our lives typically are not the 10 things that bring us the most joy. And that was really humbling for me to have a look at and it really made me think about what I'm prioritising in my life. Uh, the last one there is the gift-giving rule. A lot of us will have um, gift-giving as our love language or gift-receiving, and that's awesome. And again, stuff isn't bad, but it's about being really intentional. So thinking, could I gift an experience instead or quality time or um, rather than focusing on stuff, thinking about, yeah, again, quality time and experiences with people that we love. So... Uh, there's, there will be a QR code on the screen and, as I said, you can scan that. Last time I preached a message, I put a QR code on the screen and you all looked at me like, what's a QR code? But now, post-COVID, I know that you know how to scan a QR code so you're not getting out of this one. Um, so that will be there. But I guess in summing up, I just want to reiterate that the idea of this is not to make anyone feel like you have to be Marie Kondo or Gandhi and go out and get rid of all your stuff and go and live on a mountain. It's actually just about making little steps um, 
towards the good life, which is not found in accumulating wealth or possessions, but in, um, I guess, in living out Jesus' will for our life and in um, becoming like our rabbi and spending time with him and loving our neighbours. And so even just some tiny little steps, I challenge you to look at this book, maybe just choose one of these things, sit down tonight and do that 10-10 list and just have a look if there's any overlap. Just, I, yeah, we challenge you to just try one of those things this week and um, see if it can shift your thinking a little bit. So I'd just like to pray in closing. Dear God, I just want to thank you that the good life isn't for sale. Thank you that it doesn't require education, prestige or credit cards. Thank you that we have an open door to enter into the good life every moment of every day. We ask that through this series, Lord, you take us deeper into the life of the kingdom. Thank you for these beautiful people, for this church community and for the um, amazing people that we have here today that we get to do life with. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We really hope you enjoyed this talk. We've created a free resource for this series, which is available for you over at towerracecommunitychurch.com.au forward slash services. You'll find links in the description. We are praying for you. Have a great week.